Happy day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome, welcome back to your favorite podcast and mine, I Like to Movie Movie. My name is Dan Scully. And my name is Garrett Smith, and you know what? I like to movie movie as well. That's why we do this. Indeed. Because we all, we like to movie movie. It's also the name of our new after show. Yes. I like to movie movie as well. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's talking I like to movie movie <laughs> yeah. as well, where Chris Hardwick talks about I like to movie movie as well. Yes. And what we talked about on I like to movie movie. Yes. And what are we talking about on I like to movie movie tonight, today, whenever you listen? <laughs> today we're talking about Wes Anderson's 1998 film, Rushmore. 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 Super excited to talk about this. Yeah, this was, uh, this was a wild one. We just finished watching it about 10 minutes ago. And uh, it's been about a year since I've seen it last, but I feel like it had been longer. It's uh, This is one of my most watched movies, mm-hmm. I think, actually, next to like Ghostbusters and Stand By Me. Uh, another, uh, Shaun of the Dead uh, stands up as one of the movies I've probably seen most. This was like a movie I used to watch a lot when I was in like middle school and high school. Mm. Uh, you make me feel old. <laughs> yeah, this yeah, came yeah. out when I started high school. Uh-huh. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. I was renting <laughs> it when I was in middle school. Uh, it's so wild. Yeah. I um this movie is responsible for uh like a lot of careers. Uh-huh. A lot of them. I mean, Wes Anderson blew up after this. Yes, he did. It's not a financial success. It came in three million under budget. Oh really? Returns. Interesting. But I mean, of course it's gone above and beyond that yeah. now in syndication and it's got a criterion DVD that both you and I own, so there's yes. some money in their pocket right there. <laughs> Indeed. And it's uh so, but it really launched uh, Wes Anderson, made him kind of a, uh, you know, we became culturally aware of him at that point. Yes. Um, it relaunched Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. Bill Murray was doing Larger Than Life, the comedy where he walks across the country with an elephant. Uh-huh. Um, Bill Murray of Ghostbusters and Groundhog's Day was doing stuff like that. Uh-huh. And now we know him as Old Man Bill Murray, which is a new kind of funny. And uh, I think that was introduced to us by Rushmore. Yes. Uh, Jason Schwartzman, literally uh, first I had ever heard of him. Yep. And I, I think it's the first thing he was ever in. Right? Might be his first role. I yeah. think so. And he's he's the most famous person in the history of Hollywood now. You know, we all <laughs> we all know this. He's in like every Wes Anderson movie. So yeah, you know, it's all it's all well, good. He's a Coppola. Yeah, he's exactly. He is a Coppola. Yeah, that's uh that's wild. I don't know where he falls into the Coppolas. That's Hollywood. Uh, he's also a Wayans. <laughs> um, he's one of the Wayans. No, he's not a Wayans. He's a Schwartzman. <laughs> and um, no, he's he is related to Marlon Wayans. <laughs> uh, he was he was married to Marlon Wayans for a short period of time in uh, 1988. We all know this, but that's where that would have made him. Oh, it was know, illicit. Maybe. Okay, that's why you don't hear about it. Yeah. it's it's it's. Uh, uh, he may not have know. even been double digits. Mm-mm. But I mean, Marlon Wayans was young too. And Hollywood summer camp things happen, so it goes. <laughs> but anywho, he is a Coppola. I don't know where he felt falls in. I don't know where he. Uh, relates to uh, Nicolas Cage, but I'd love to find out. Oh, man, yeah. And uh, it's kind of funny because I think he does have some Nicolas Cage-isms in him. Mm-hmm. You know, he's uh, not Nicolas Cage-ism in him. I didn't say that. I said Nicolas Cage-isms. There's no way to say that. He, he He's very cagey. <laughs> but he does, uh, his mom is, I think his mom is Adrian from uh, from uh, Rocky. Oh, really? I'm, I know that she plays his mom in I Heart Huckabees. Oh, that's right. And I think that's her, if I remember correctly. Okay. She has my favorite line in I Heart Huckabees. She says, what are you, a bitch? You're a bitch. How many kids do you have, bitch? <laughs> Fucking love that. 
But uh, yeah, so enough about that shit. But oh, uh, it uh, launched a yes, lot of careers. It did, uh, and it's. Uh, I think the thing we talked about most while we were watching it this time. I have a, I, I have a lot of things I love about this movie that I can't wait to talk about. But I think we talked the most about where this sits in Wes Anderson's sort of. Uh, pan- like the pantheon. That sounds like a ridiculous thing to say in about it. In his canon. In his canon. In his canon. Uh, in the be- archives. Yes, yes. Because it's interesting because the only movie in he the had... annals of Wes Anderson films. <laughs> and Nick Cageism. Yeah, <laughs> Nick Cageism in the annals of how much Nick Cageism is there in the annals of Wes Anderson's canon? <laughs> <laughs> All right, enough. Perfect. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, so the uh, because this was his second film. Uh, And Bottle Rocket does not really give you a good indication of what will come with Wes Anderson. No, not at all. Yeah. That uh, just feels like an indie movie. Yes. It has that that sheen on it. Yeah. This definitely feels like it establishes a lot of the visual tropes uh, that become so much of his career. All of his movies have these like big, uh, they're sort of staples of Wes Anderson Mm. that I think everybody's familiar with. Mm. Uh, You know a Wes Anderson movie when when you see one. Uh, mm. And you can see a lot of that in this movie. He's definitely establishing that sort of visual style in this. However, he hasn't quite gotten so... Uh, I don't know. What's the word for what he even does now? I mean, it's so refined now. Yes, yes. It's so specific. Mm-hmm. And it's not a bad thing. I mean, he's working sharp. I mean, he's at a technical high point with uh, Grand Budapest Hotel. Absolutely. I mean, that's fine filmmaking. Mm-hmm. But in terms of viewer experience, this one's a little rougher around the edges. Yes. It's a little looser. The camera shakes a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's like there's handheld shots work. in this, yeah. which like never happens in his movies now. Mm. Uh, and I, uh, I, we were talking about how much I really like that about this movie. It makes the world feel very lived in, whereas his movies now feel like pop-up books come mm. to life. You and know, they his attention to detail is insane. Yes, and every and it's still every, present in this. Exactly, it's very present in this. Yeah. I mean, looking at the background actors, I mean, you saw familiar faces. There's. There's people that are, you know, they weren't just people walking on. They all have a purpose. And each and every shot still has that same storybook feel where you can, it's like you turn the page when you're reading the storybook and you're just taking the picture for a while. Yeah. There's more of an opportunity for that uh, in modern Wes Anderson movies because it's really trying to be that. But this has no less attention to detail. No. But it's just, it's just kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of grimier. I like it like that. Yeah, yeah. I feel, I I love the way this movie, it's somehow the characters feel relatable in this, Mm. uh, where I I don't feel that way about some of his later work. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's definitely gone through an evolution of really just becoming more and more heightened Mm -hmm. as it goes. Uh, I feel like you can just watch his movies become less and less of a. I don't know how to describe this. They get so showy. They become so so much a they become so much a Max Fisher production. Oh yeah. yeah. As they go on, uh, that uh, they they become a little more wooden, I guess. For me, they're, well, they're not more self aware. Yeah. It's almost as if they're winking at you at home. Yeah, like, yeah, Get yeah. It? We're in a silly movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. whereas this, like, it almost. I mean, it couldn't happen. It's a kind of fantastical story, but right. it could happen. Yeah, yeah. You absolutely. Know, there's falsehoods in it, but not mm-hmm. in any. Like, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example. When I think of Max Fisher, I actually think of a, a full character. When I think of, uh, you know, when I think of, uh, what's his name, Herman Bloom. Yes, you yes. Know, Of course, I see old Bill Murray, but it's actually a complete character. When I think of, uh, see, I can't even think of a name of anybody from uh, Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh, yeah, see, um, yeah. You know, when, I, when I think of... Uh, Zero Mostel. 
Zero Mustel is, is the guy who's in the producers with the uh, Yep. Yeah. Um no but Zero. When I think yeah. about Zero, I think of a little it's like a, a kid drew him with a crayon. Yeah. You know, it's just a character. Yeah. And it's it's Zero it's Mustel because awesome his characters are beautiful, but nowadays they are just characters. Whereas, yeah. you know, I, I kind of you know, we were diving into it just watching it. The whole story of of Bill Murray is told through his performance and through so little. Oh yeah. Whereas I feel like a modern day Wes Anderson movie would almost have it like written on the screen. Absolutely. Just labeled like this is Herman Bloom. Right. Yeah. This is his history. Get ready for some adventures with him. Yeah. And this is once again by no means am I trying to talk shit on any modern Wes. No, Anderson. no, no. no. I like his movies. Good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but we the, we did talk about that a lot, and actually, that's a great way to to bring it into why we think this is a movie movie. Uh, it does have a lot of uh, great show don't tell stuff, especially with Bloom's character. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get all of his history through visual gags, mostly, uh, and a, and a couple little jokes throughout it about uh, you know, like we get the Vietnam thing through a, <laughs> through a joke in the beginning. I can't believe I, I either forgot about that or never yeah. picked up on it. But him having oh, Vietnam yeah. flashbacks during Heaven and Hell is like <laughs> the greatest thing. <laughs> We were laughing so hard at just the, like, one of the big jokes at the end is when they start his production of a play called Heaven and Hell, <laughs> which is a Vietnam uh, love story, I guess is sure. a, a love story in the middle of the Vietnam War. Uh, and it, it's, like, so obnoxious and absurd that they're doing this on a, on a stage at a high school. There's explosions and there's, like, a chopper that comes down oh, yeah, and all yeah. kinds of crazy shit. And there's a, a shot where it cuts to the audience watching all this <laughs> chaos happen literally as the curtain opens like well, the play has just started well they're they're all at the side of the first explosion they all reach for their optional yes. uh, ear and eye protection yes and you see the entire audience at once grab goggles to put on and earmuffs to put on and the only person not doing that is bill murray whose <laughs> face is like he is being floored by this. He's he literally is on the edge of turning to Vietnam. He's he's being drawn into this play. Yeah. He's he's literally sitting on the edge yeah. of the seat, just slack jawed. It and, and fucking rocks him, and it's Let's so talk about funny. Bill Murray. You know that that I like to movie movies is a fan of Bill Murray. Yes, collectively. yes, yes it's, yes. it's huge. He's got to be the funniest person on the planet. It, this movie he's is so good at, th- and th- yeah, exactly. This movie is his. Uh, it's such a showcase for his face, yes, yeah, which he, he doesn't do much with. Oh, but he just feels it in this way that's so funny. It's great, like we, and it is so funny. That's one of the things. Is there's some stuff in this movie that made both Dan and I laugh out loud that we I couldn't explain to you why it was funny necessarily. Mm. It was just because Bill Murray was doing it. It was like <laughs> hysterical. Like he's got that line where he's like. Uh, he's like, hey, he's talking across, and he's like, what are you doing there? And she's like, I'm having a snack, and he's like, oh. Having some carrots? <laughs> <laughs> There's just something about his delivery of having some carrots. There he goes, he goes, you'll have one of those carrots. Yeah. <laughs> she offers him a carrot. I don't know what it is. There's something about his delivery that like... He plays such a good noble slob. Yeah, like, yeah. He's such a filthy, just awful piece of shit in this movie. Mm-hmm. But you also, you know, when you see that he is this, he's war-torn. Yep. He's just a, he was a businessman, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, he's some kind of a successful guy. He's a cutthroat badass schlub yeah 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 it's 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 awesome uh 
and, uh, and oh, and so you get so you get all these things about his history through some of those jokes and stuff. But one of the things you get is like there's a great sequence uh, uh, of his kid's birthday party uh, that is is essentially a montage. It's just like a, a musical piece. Uh, I forget what song that is set to, uh, but it, it's him throwing. He's sitting in a chair throwing golf balls in his disgusting pool mm-hmm. as uh, across the pool his family is opening up gifts for his sons. And uh, they, there's no dialogue about this. You, uh, the only reason you know he's married at this point is because you see that he's picking up kids from school. So you, it's maybe assumed at that point. But we now he, we get this musical piece. He's sitting at the pool, and the camera cuts over to see a redheaded woman mm. uh, being fed a piece of cake by a handsome man. Mm. Uh, nothing to think about that except that we've got Bill Murray sitting so depressed by the pool that you see her look to him and then kind of sheepishly pull away from the man and you realize in that moment, oh, that's his wife. They're having marital problems. Mm. She's sleeping with other men. He's clearly a depressed, like he's just trapped in this like suburban hellhole that he didn't expect to be in. He probably is or was some sort of powerful businessman and is now trapped in this little family that he hates. Uh, and oh, we get that all. We get that all from just this like ten seconds of movie. Oh, it's barely any time at all. And, and nothing is spoken. For- nothing's written on the screen. It's just this little moment between mm. this redheaded woman and this depressed man across a pool. And I believe there's one point where he's th- he's throwing the the golf balls into the pool, yeah. which is such an odd thing. Like yes. whoever came up with that, I mean that that's definitely it, very Wes Anderson. It clearly humor. illustrates what's going on oh, inside yeah. of Bill Murray somehow. He just w- he wants to watch the world burn yeah. a little bit, and then a little kid comes up and is looking at him. <laughs> so he just kind of throws a ball in his direction, mm-hmm. and you can't tell whether it's he's trying to hit the kid or whether he's doing a go fetch yeah. kind of thing. But it works, and it's it, it says so much about his character yeah. that is who he is. And oh, and they cut briefly. I'm sorry. One of the things they do as well. We have the the moment of the redhead and him across the pool. They cut at one point just briefly to a family painting, a mm-hmm. painting of the family, and we see we see Bloom, we see Bill Murray's character, the redheaded woman we've just seen across the pool, and his two ugly redhead children. His fucking shitty kids. Yep. Uh, that he hates. But that's it. But that's, that's, it. that's all true. we need, and we get his whole. We know everything we need to know about him. And his wife is barely a character in the movie. Oh, hardly at all. Her only line is later in the movie. Yeah. She goes for the tuna fish, which is so odd. Uh, Very bizarre. If you're giving food by a stranger. Yeah, I wouldn't go peanut... I mean, if I had to choose one, I would just say no thank you to the sandwich. Oh, yeah. Choice between peanut butter and tuna. Being forced to? Yeah, always go on peanut butter. Yeah. Always go on peanut butter. Unless you're allergic to peanut butter. Yeah. yeah. Or if if you're allergic to both, well... You know what, though? If you're in a situation where a stranger is forcing you to eat one of two sandwiches and you're allergic to peanut butter, it might be good to eat the peanut butter sandwich so you start having an allergic reaction and force them to either do something about what's happening to you or just leave you there that's true it depends on your Your chances might be better Uh, maybe or you just use your karate (laughs) which is what i would do yeah i know a lot of karate i saw the raid too so i thusly now know karate that's how it works oh that movie was awesome Mm -hmm. uh let's cancel rushmore about the raid too um with with uh rushmore uh, i just want to talk about the raid now (laughs) what are we gonna do um that'll be part of uh i like to movie movie as well Okay, now this is uh this is something that I that I love about Rushmore and that I love about Wes Anderson generally is his soundtracks. Oh yes, because he doesn't skimp on the score or the soundtrack. No, it's and got I know both. the score he works with Mark Mothersbaugh. Yes. of Devo fame, Devo and Rugrats theme fame. Yes, and, and a lot of things that uh that I think uh, he did a bunch of Nicktoons actually. Oh yeah, I'm I'm sure he's done a lot of stuff that we we don't know about. And so he does the score, which is always very. Uh, it sounds like a, a music box, mm-hmm. you know. It's like Calliope stuff, yeah. You know that kind of fun. Reminds stuff. me of John Bryan a little bit, but uh, yeah, okay. And then um, it he also uses 
I say pop music, but just popular music. Yes. You know, recognizable bands, sometimes songs that you know, sometimes songs that you don't, but it's mm-hmm. always it's always a hip, cool soundtrack. Yeah. And it, I think he operates 100% scores now. I know. I yeah, we were talking about that, that. There's not as... Uh, I Yeah, I don't know. Did Darjeeling Limited have... Darjeeling Limited was all uh, like Middle Eastern music. Yeah, there, I don't remember if there was any. American there may have music been like either. one or two. I'm not sure, but that might it's have been. been that's while. the last movie I can think of that he did that would have had any, if that even did have any. Yeah, I think that was the first like departure away from it. But that was also the first one. Um, let's see, Owen Wilson co-wrote through to Royal Tenenbaums. Yes, then Noah Baumbach did yes. uh, Life Aquatic. So that was his first one with Roman Coppola. Yeah, and so, also Schwartzman. Oh yeah, and Schwartzman yep. and they, uh, yeah. And so, uh, I forgot he wrote that. Mm-hmm. And then from there, Moonrise Kingdom had no popular music that I right. can Right, yeah, I don't think so. And Grand Budapest Hotel, I guarantee you had um, Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'll score. And Fantastic Mr. Fox was a cartoon. Yeah. So, there was that. <laughs> that. That's actually very high ranking if I were to rank my Wes Anderson movies. Yeah, Fantastic yeah. Mr. Fox is up there for yeah. me. But uh, I miss that. I miss these these hips, uh, hip tunes, hip tunes, hip tunes. These hip, uh, the Nick tunes crossed them ahead. You think about uh, like Tarantino always uh-huh. uses you know popular music. Yeah, and this movie came out in '98. We're still a very you know recently post Tarantino world where yes. he's hit Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown and. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, yeah, he hadn't done Kill Bill yet. No, he that was, comes out in like Jackie 2001 Brown. or something. It was or 2003. Maybe even later. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was 2003, yeah. Uma Thurman will kill Bill. And so I think that was something that he definitely started to bring to the game. Mm-hmm. People started feeling comfortable using that kind of music. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Scorsese's always been doing that, hasn't yeah, he? Scorsese's yeah, Scorsese's always done that. And so, uh, yeah, to see just another hip 90s director that yeah. blew up, you know, definitely had that influence and then seems to have pulled away from it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know how I feel about that. I know, cause I, and especially this movie has a fantastic soundtrack. Like mm-hmm. you pointed out, it's got that great Rolling Stones song that's like a not like a popular Stones song. I don't even know the name of it. Yeah, yeah. And but it has it, the Who. Yeah. The you are forgiven. Which is just a great, great sequence. Uh, the, the war between these two. That's another thing we should talk about is like, what a weird idea for a movie. I mean, all, all his movies are, they do sort of have weird ideas at the center of them. This one's probably more grounded, but still very weird. It's a love triangle between a 15-year-old, a maybe 30-year-old, and a 40- or 50-year-old. Mm. It's like this very bizarre, but the way he tells the story is as if it's a normal rom-com. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Like he doesn't really. There, there's definitely moments where they make it very clear the age differences and things like that. But for the most part, like the way all the characters, even like um uh what what uh what's his chapel partner's name? Oh, uh, Dirk, Dirk Calloway. Dirk Calloway. Dirk played by Mason Gamble. Mason Gamble starring Love. as Dirk Calloway. Dirk. Dirk Diggler. <laughs> uh, and uh, so Dirk, uh, even at that one point, like after he sees uh, Bloom uh, hanging out with the teacher, he's got that great scene where he stops Bloom's car. And the teacher. I know about you and the teacher. And that's great music there. Oh, it's yeah. just the single organ hit the... Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sounds yeah, like, yeah. you know, Dracula. But think about that. That's a typical scene you would see in a romantic comedy, but there wouldn't be an eight-year-old boy giving that speech. Mm. Uh, and it doesn't really pay a whole lot of mind to the fact that it's an eight-year-old boy giving the speech. It just sort of treats that at the, this is what's happening. This is the world we're in. An eight-year-old boy is going to give this speech. I think even before he before he spits on a, on a Bloom's car, yeah. there's a very real moment of 
Bloom almost having the way it would be if he was talking to an adult. Yeah. Where it's like, all right, you got me. I, I'll bargain with you. Yeah, yeah. And it almost looks like he's about to cut a deal with this kid before the kid's like, I want, I don't want Max to find out, and I want it to end. Yeah. Then spits on his car. So he regards him as such. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, one of the things that I always said I disliked about Moonrise Kingdom is I love adults acting like children. Mm-hmm. I don't like children acting like adults. Mm-hmm. That's just a personal taste thing. Mm-hmm. But here they they walk the line perfectly. Oh yeah. And I think it's because it's in a more real world yeah that it actually seems fun whereas in a world like moonrise kingdom it's almost you know where it's the more storybook thing uh-huh. it's almost like oh that's the universe we're in is the kids are smart and the adults are dumb yeah yeah whereas this kind of seems real like yes. this is an affluent area and this is a you yeah know, it's, it just plays more real and it it elicits more humor to me well and a and a and a 15 year old acting this way like makes a lot of sense we were talking about that the whole time too that this mm. is very much max's i mean now that we're we're both a little older we, we both kind of talked about like we regard we may have regarded max at one point in our lives as sort of like a, a kind of a cool character oh, he was a hero yeah he yeah was a yeah. little holden caulfield for, yeah. for everybody uh but uh, being a little older now we look we were watching the movie and we were like this he is an insufferable shit of <laughs> a kid i was hoping you would use the term i was trying to remember what you called him <laughs> yeah insufferable shit <laughs> yeah. he's so precocious he's so aggressive and, and uh-huh. almost uh he's like rapey at times. yeah oh yeah he's i know like that is a couple creepy scenes there it's yeah. weird like i said cageism <laughs> and um he's he's as rapey as they get uh-huh. in this cage but uh yeah, it's 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 weirdly offbeat, and I I, I just I, I hated him now, mm-hmm. and I almost more empathized with Bill Murray's character. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not there yet. He's no, a piece no. of shit, but yeah. it, it it was weird because he was almost villainous when uh-huh. I watched it as a youth. Yeah, uh, and it's just interesting the way they're able to pull that off because it makes sense. Like that is how fifty. You know, we talked about fifteen year olds. They uh, you know, everything is a. Um, uh, uh, sort of a, a, a narrative to them. Mm. Everything is a big deal. Everything is huge. So like Max's reactions to everything are these like big theatrical reactions. Every every little moment of his life is sort of the the next thing that's either going to make or break Max Fisher. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that but that's a very real thing that I think fifteen year olds experience. That oh, is how fifteen year olds process the world. My whole life was a delusion of grandeur. Yeah. I, from fifteen to nineteen. Yeah. That, that was what it was. Yeah. And so it makes sense that it's like a kid acting like an adult for Max specifically. You know, absolutely. it's like it makes sense we're watching him perf- behave this way. And he's he's he acts like that because that's his upbringing. You know, he was we lost his mother. I mean, yeah, I, I think that's a really mother. important thing to his character. His dad's a blue collar guy. Yeah. He's like excessively trying to break out of that in his own fifteen year old ways. He has these these wishes to be the smartest, the yes. brightest. Yes, but he's just kind of regular. Well, you know what I noticed watching this too. You that's really interesting. You brought that up. Uh, did you notice the quote on his mom's grave? What was it? I, I read it. Now I don't remember. Uh, it says uh, like the the quest for the what was it. The 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 quest for um, uh, glory only leads to the grave. It was something like that. Oh no 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 no! I remember now. It wasn't yeah. only leads to the grave. It was uh it was the uh, the path to glory is like a reward to the brave. No 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 no. Are you sure. I'm almost positive. I'm gonna, I'm gonna it try says and it, pull it up. We I'm almost positive it says only ends in the grave. And I realized that was sort of the point of the movie is Max has all these delusions of grandeur and it's because he's trying to get himself out of the situation that he's sort of found himself in and thinks that he be- he belongs. Uh, he, he almost is bourgeois. He belongs somewhere else. Uh, and he's desperately trying to get out and he's got all this passion and all this drive and all this motivation, but he's got no direction for any of it. 
uh, it, it, it's getting him nowhere. He's he's caring about things he shouldn't care about, and he doesn't care about the things that he should. Uh, and it's because the path to glory, you know, he needs to learn that this this path to this glory that he wants uh, isn't going to get him anywhere. He he needs to realize that the cute Asian girl that goes to the public high school he's at is actually someone worth his time, uh, not this like thirty year old woman that he idolizes, um, who maybe because maybe reminds him of his mother a little bit. What I think is really funny, too, is when I first watched the movie, I almost had that, like, poor Max kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And now watching it, I just feel bad for the teacher. Oh, I know. She just gets run through the ringer by these two genuinely psychopathic dudes. Uh-huh. And, and you just watch it happen. And, and she's almost a glutton for their punishment uh-huh. because she's seemingly fascinated by both, by, of, by both of them. Yeah. And uh, it... And, and that's a testament to this being a real-world thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's an aspect that you can lose in the, the newer Wes Anderson movies is that mm-hmm. there's no kind of normal person in them. Right, exactly. You know, everyone's yeah. a character. So to have her and other normal folk in the midst of this just epic battle between two real characters yeah. uh, has this... Uh, there's like a collateral damage around them yeah. that that spreads quirkiness. <laughs> and, so every, and so she's just a victim of it. And when you have just an excess of quirk you you lose quirk the whole idea of quirk is that it's not excessive <laughs> i had i had this damn tombstone what happened to it? it where'd you lose it it was one of those where the link said the first half of it and then i clicked it and it's like a list of trivia and it's somewhere lost in the sea oh no so uh, deep in the ocean that only steve zissou could fish it out uh-huh. <laughs> Uh? Oh, that's another thing I wanted to bring up is this movie is a template for everything he'll eventually do. It's got all the trappings of things that he eventually went on to. Uh, one of the specific big ones is his fascination with uh, marine life. Uh, there's the uh, the the sort of there's a book that's sort of it's not like a central plot point, but it's. Uh, I think not just marine life, but uh, underwater film. Yes, like the old Jacques Cousteau yes. kind of thing. I mean, that's almost specifically what they showed. Yes, it and is. The same, you know, aspect ratio and everything is what they did with Zissou. Mm-hmm. You get you got that gravestone? I do not. You, all I right. totally cut off your point there. So go go to town. No, it's okay. Uh Oh, and so we but and we also get some of the other things, you know, like the symmetry that that comes into play in his later movies is present in this, but it's not overly present like it's kind of become, I think. Uh, we get some of the, we do get some of the storybook elements. There are the, uh, the curtains that open and close on each progressive month, mm-hmm. uh, which has now just become a staple of his movies. There's they the all montages have the, of, yes. um, you know, like a list of, act- his list of activities. His list of activities. They did it with, uh, Royal Tenenbaums when it was a list of Margot's, uh, past loves. Yep. And that's, that's a big thing. That's a staple of his. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, labeled montage. I do have that quote now. Yes. And you're right. It says, uh, the paths of glory lead but to the grave. Yep. It says that it's from a Thomas Gray poem called Elegy Written in a Country Churchyard. Um, this same quote was the second clue to the treasure in the Disney film Candleshoe. Well, Perfect. there you go. Uh, yeah, so I, I realize that that is kind of what this movie's about, I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Is, is Max having to learn that? Mm-hmm. He grows... I mean, it, it is definitely an earned uh, rite of passage kind yes. of thing. He does grow up. He's not necessarily more grown up... It, I mean, not a lot of time passes, but he, there's a lesson that he learns. Yeah, yeah. And he learns it simultaneously with his counterpart, uh, Herman Bloom, which yes. is Bill Murray. Yes. And one of the joyous things about watching this movie is the fact that they are the same person oh, yeah. at a different point in their life. Yes. And it's with that, you know, the, similar people tend to butt heads. Uh-huh. And then they usually end up respecting each other when they respect themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the story that we see here. We yeah. see these two immensely huge and immensely bruised egos yeah. just get 
the shit kicked out of them. And then at the end of the day, they realize, oh, it's not so bad. I just got to clean my shit up. <laughs> and because, uh, I mean, that's really, they both had to learn that it's not all about them. Right. And so they should get their shit together. And it's, it is a nice lesson. It's a lesson that, uh, that every 15 year old should probably hear. But sadly, when you're 15 and you watch this, you're just like, poor Max. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, one <gasps> of the girls. You know, that's <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that I get out of the ending, I think, too, is that uh, maybe one of the lessons Max has learned is that he needs to just fucking cool it a little bit mm-hmm. and enjoy the fact that he's 15. Absolutely. Uh, see, which which is a great lesson to learn. I think that's actually a more important lesson for him to learn than any sort of actually growing up kind of thing. Is maybe more to accept the fact that he's fifteen mm-hmm. and he should you know enjoy being fifteen. Now you made a uh, uh, an observation at the end that I really want to talk about. What was that? Um, that every uh, Wes Anderson movie since Rushmore oh, yeah. is just one of Max Fisher's plays. Yes, yes. We were, uh, <laughs> we, as it was, like, we were, we were, as the movie was ending, we were, ta- we were, we were very much into talking about uh, how, like, oh, man, li- it's crazy. This movie, like, feels so lived in and kind of real and we're relating to a little more. Maybe that's why this one works better because it just, it doesn't feel so precise and so, uh, you know, uh, uh, storybooky. And then the curtain opened on Heaven and Hell and we were looking at the stage and the way everything was set. And I, and I, I said, I was like, oh, yeah, it's like uh, all of his movies just became Max Fisher plays. And then the what? camera slowly started yeah, to yeah. pull into the stage. And I was like, we, he never, this is what, this is literally what happened to Wes Anderson. He pushed the camera in on this stage and he never, that's where he, he exists there, now. Yeah. <laughs> he lives on that stage. It's so true. It perfectly describes, and, and once again, we sound like we're ragging on Wes Anderson. No, I know, but even I, Wes Anderson on a bad day is better than most filmmakers yes, on a great day. Yes, and so even his worst is better than some's best. Uh, and it, my love for him is unending. <laughs> yeah, but I really miss things like Rushmore, and it definitely feels like he zoomed into the story. Yeah, and it, you know, in order for something to be meta, yes. there has to be two layers to the story. Yes. and you're usually existing on that outer layer. Uh-huh. But it's like he went into the inner layer yes. and just got comfortable there. Mm-hmm. And so the meta is still happening, but we're on the outside, just mm-hmm. like, hey, we get it. <laughs> somewhere, Ken Watanabe is dying as an old yeah. man. Oh wow! <laughs> we should do Inception. Yeah. Okay. Anywho, <laughs> I I because I, I was like Ken Watanabe, and then I had that image. That's yeah. an awesome scene. I just incepted you. You just incepted me. You put it into my head. <laughs> yeah. Um, where was that other trivia? What was the what you got more trivia oh, yeah, for me? So, uh, you know, we were saying how it, it did launch Wes Anderson. Yeah. But right here it says that uh, it went on to make seventeen point one million below its twenty million dollar budget. Whoa! So it came up three million short. But it's still, you know, critically huge. It yeah, says yeah, yeah. it's well percent fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Indeed. And you know, every review is good, but I thought this is kind of cool. Roger Ebert, two and a half stars. Ooh. Yeah, what did Roger he say? Ebert, he says, oh, I lost him. We're going to get an early yeah. negative review this, oh, yeah. this show. Roger Ebert gave the film two and a half stars out of four and wrote, Anderson and Wilson are good offbeat filmmakers, but their <laughs> film seems torn between conflicting possibilities. It's structured like a comedy, but there are undertones of darker themes, and I almost wish they'd allowed the plot to lead them into those shadows. Now, that's interesting because uh, he's not wrong. No, I know. Uh, I don't think he's wrong at I was going to say, that's actually a really accurate description of the movie. I just like that that's what the movie is. Well, I think that the statement to be made here is that this kind of was a, a, an original idea. A precursor. You know, this this set the tone. We love dark comedies yeah. now that are twisted. We love when fucked up shit happens. Yeah. But, you know, if, like you said, 15-year-old, 40-year-old, 30-year-old. Yeah. Oh, fuck it. Bill Murray's like 50. Yeah, yeah, 50 yeah. 50-year-old. Yeah. It's... Uh, 
it's a weird idea to pitch that as a love triangle. And like, think about it now. Uh, what is Silver Linings Playbook but just an offbeat version of a romantic comedy? Yep. And, uh, and it's bad advice. If you're mentally ill, don't just find another mentally <laughs> ill person yeah. and start making babies with yeah. them. Maybe like, I'm not saying don't do that, but get a little help. <laughs> but uh, I guess it doesn't matter if you're like one of the two most beautiful people in Hollywood and yep. the other sick person is the other of the two most. <laughs> but either way, and that's winning Oscars now. I don't think things like that would be in the running for winning Oscars if not for the template set by films like Rushmore, especially yeah, yeah, yeah. Rushmore itself at that time. Mm-hmm. And so Roger Ebert, I don't think he's off off base no, at all. No, 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 I just no, think he accurate. saw something that perhaps he had not had no point of reference for. Right, you know? yeah, yeah. So uh, I no, that was interesting. No way to anticipate that. Uh, and that it, actually, that was another thing we were talking about, is I think one of the things that also makes this movie work for me a little more than some of his later movies is, and I, I almost ha- hate saying this as a comedian, but the the comedy in it is a bit broader than some of his other movies. Oh, absolutely. There's some really big slapstick moments. Yeah. It's still very specific. Uh, It's oddly both very specific and very broad. It somehow walks a line there that I really like and appreciate. Uh, And as he made more movies, it got more specific and less broad Mm. uh, to the point where it's it's funny, but it's not like I don't get any good belly laughs out of what mm. Wes Anderson does. I feel like I, I I'm more, moments of like, I'm more oh, kind of like, yeah, I kind of like uh. snidely smile and like, I see what you're doing. <laughs> That's a, they're, they're, I see what you did there comedies yeah, yeah, rather yeah. than laugh out loud comedies. Yeah. I, I did, uh, when the one, I say, I won't say who, I don't want to spoil it. When the one character goes over the cliff in a Grand Budapest Hotel, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I damn near pissed my seat. The, there was that actually, was so funny. that movie, actually, I guess, did have a couple very big, broad moments oh, in absolutely. it uh, that were really fun. That's it did why throw I, back I really to that a little it, bit. Because yeah. it, it was such a departure from Moonrise Kingdom, which I still liked. Yeah, I really enjoyed Moonrise Kingdom, actually. And, and, and that's cool. I like I said, even on his worst, he's still better than most. Yeah. I, I did really like that movie. I just felt it was lazy. I will give it another chance, mm-hmm. but Grand Budapest Hotel was just raucous for a, a, a couple good moments. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a couple really big broad moments in that that, that really work. Now I brought this up here. I looked up the cinematographer. Oh Rushmore. yes, his name is Robert Yeoman, and oh, yeah, he yeah, yeah. has actually done every single uh, Wes yes, Anderson movie. Yep. And so you wonder if, as this uh, this visual aesthetic is refining yeah. and getting more specific, I guess his is kind of doing the same thing. Absolutely, yeah. And so what else has Yeoman done? Has he worked with anybody else? Yeah, actually, I feel like I know his name. Yeah, CQ, which is a fantastic movie, uh, written and directed by Roman Coppola, starring huh. Jason Schwartzman. I have the DVD. You would actually really enjoy that. Interesting, another fantastic soundtrack. That's actually right there where the crossover between Yeoman and Coppola yeah, into yeah, the yeah. whole thing. Because maybe was, he's a Coppola. He could be. I, every I might be a Coppola. <laughs> I don't know. So he did. Um, trying to see. Uh, Dead Heat. We're going way Dead back heat. to the... Uh, I'll just stay with the modern stuff. Permanent Midnight. What's Permanent Permanent Midnight is the movie. It's the drama. It's really bad, actually. Owen Wilson and Ben Stiller. Ben Stiller plays the junkie who created the TV show ALF. What? Yeah, it's 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 not a comedy. It sounds like a comedy, yeah. but it's a true story, and it's not very good, but it, it's wild. I'm just seeing like a That's crew of people. That's very bizarre. Because it's Owen Wilson yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's Ben Stiller. yeah. So we have Rushmore. He did Dogma. That's interesting. Oh, yeah. That's why I know his name, actually, because yeah. he worked with Kevin Smith. Dogma. He did, um, 
Yeah, CQ, Royal Tenenbaums, Life Aquatic, The Squid and the Whale. Oh, Noah Bamba, great movie, yeah. Which is what he did and right after uh, Inside the Family, yep, yep. This guy really works it hard. He yeah. did Yes Man and Whip It and Get Him to the Greek mm. and Bridesmaids Man, and The Heat. It's just all over the place. But like right there, everything that I listed right there puts him in with the uh, Apatow crew. Yeah. Because he did The Heat and Bridesmaids. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Whip It puts him in with uh, Drew Barrymore. Page, Drew Barrymore. Yes Man gives him Zoe Deschanel, and that's everybody in Hollywood forever. <laughs> that's everything. Oh, and he did Red Eye with um, oh, uh, what's Killian, Murphy? Killian Murphy. Yeah. And uh, that's a Wes Craven movie. So I know. now he's in Wes Craven territory. So this guy's actually got a good career. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny to think about because uh, I think one thing that, that, especially when we watched the trailer for uh, Rushmore, that was clearly film stock. Mm-hmm, it was mm-hmm. grimy. It was yep, old. And yep. we're pretty much all digital now, yeah. as it were. Can I tell you what that list of movies proves, by the way? What's that? Is that a director really does have a lot of say in what a movie looks like at the end of the day. Oh, absolutely. Think about all those other movies you listed versus Wes Anderson movies. Mm-hmm. Wes Anderson movies look a hell of a lot better than most of those movies, but they're the same cinematographer. I wouldn't say they look better. They just look different. They're, they're yeah. used to different ends because the I point I was about to make is The Heat, it's a pretty funny movie. Yeah, I didn't see but that. It's, it's very crisply shot. I yeah. Mean, like every, every screenshot photograph from it is going to look sharp. Um, it's called Whip It. That movie was like, I wasn't too into it. Yeah. But it looks crisp. Heck, you made Drew Barrymore look like a good director. Um, where was the other one I had there? Because some yeah. of the other stuff on that list, I, I'm thinking is just like it's not that Did it's bad. It's just not. Greek? Yeah, it's another one. It, it looks good though. If you, if yeah, you, it's, yes, it looks, I don't it know. Looks crisp. Yeah. So I think like whereas I just feel like there's nothing distinct about any of those movies well, at all. They have like no visual style. Movies. Yeah. On those movies, it's just make it look sharp. Yeah, yeah. And so he gets to be more. You know, he gets to work on the acuity of it. Whereas like Brand Brand Brand, brand Grudapest. <laughs> Grand, Grand Budapest Hotel's full of hunks. <laughs> the uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel, there's obviously some sort of a collaboration. Yeah, right? yeah. It's not just like show up and make it look sharp. Yeah. It's what can we direct yeah, out yeah, of yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's clear he's talented. Yeah. yeah. I guess in the same way a director can work for a paycheck, so can... So can a cinematographer. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I don't mean that in a derogatory no, way. No, 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 no. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people I know that are freelance writers. Yeah. yeah they want to write a Oh, that, was, that comment wasn't even meant to be there. an insult to this no, guy no, at no, all. Yeah. 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 Uh, I was just thinking about that, that like, oh, because, uh, you know, you, you do hear people sometimes just like, what does a director do? Mm. They're not the one that does the camera. They're not the one that does the, you know what I mean? And it, but it, it's actually, cool. I think it reinforces your point. That's almost. what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because it, it's, he can really flourish in a, yeah. in a Wes Anderson picture. And, um, and, and it is interesting because I, I, I'm still maintained, I'm pretty sure that the first time they used tilt-shift photography in the narrative of the movie was in Grand Budapest Hotel. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's so weird because that is such a a modern tool. Yeah, yeah. And it is so modern. And uh, Rushmore really reeks of that independent spirit yes. of the 90s. Yes. You know, it... it it definitely, I, I hate to sound trite, but it's a post-Tarantino thing. When Tarantino showed up, it was okay for movies to look bad as long as they were, you know, baller. And had, you know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, like yeah, it, yeah. it had like some sort of a flair to it. Yeah. And so now as as we temper the flair and then, you know, the separate the wheat from the chaff, people like Wes Anderson can ascend to, you know, do something that's more unique to their own taste. Yeah. I can see that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. I, I just, I still, I'm so wary of Wes Anderson. I don't know what it is. I, I'm with you. I, I made this point when we were watching the movie. 
of that era, there were filmmakers that had such distinct visual flair. Yeah. There was, there was Danny Boyle. There was Darren Aronofsky. Yeah. There was David Fincher. Yeah. Um, and all of these people, uh, and uh, fuck it, even David O. Russell with yeah. three kids. Even Chris Nolan. Chris Nolan. Oh, yeah. perfect example. Yeah. And these guys, if you watch their early movies, the director is so present. Uh-huh. It's in your face. You're watching a movie. Here's a flash cut. Here's this. We're going to hit you with a big music swell. Cut, cut, cut. You know, it's all very music video inspired. Yeah. And so as they age and as they become more uh, precise filmmakers, you know, you can still see that energy in the social network of a young Fincher. Yeah. But it's also. It's more streamlined and it's more yep. used to a to a cleaner end. It's more um, economical. They, it's more they, economical, yeah. and and it it's a more mature filmmaking yeah. to hold on to that flair. I mean, fuck, uh, Wolf of Wall Street is one of the most uh, active movies I've yeah. ever ever seen, and it's Scorsese who's tempered down his his youthful flair, yeah. you know, flaring back up. But the the whole point is the director's not present, whereas Wes Anderson I think is is has gone the opposite. He's getting uh, more present. Rushmore he's he's very active and very uh, kinetic, but he's not present at all. You no. don't really think of it as a movie, and now the lens instead has instead of pulling back has, has zoomed in. Yeah, he's and so now we've we've gotten this Wes Anderson who's so good at what he does. Yeah, it's so technical, but it's so obviously a movie. Yeah, you yeah, know, and there's there's he's so present. Yep, you know people. People who saw Rushmore said, "Let's go see Rushmore." People who saw Grand Budapest Hotel were like, "Let's go see the new Wes Anderson movie." Yeah, he's he's a brand. Yeah, which is funny. I just realized that what we're saying right now is something that uh, you know, generally when we talk movies on I like to movie movie, what we're talking about is movie movies, mm. movies that are like they're movies. You know, they really like take advantage of the fact that they're movies. But what we're both saying right now is like, or at least what what I'm saying right now is like, I feel like Wes Anderson makes movies that are too movie movie. Oh, they're too but, movie. You know what I mean? Sometimes. Like he's he's getting he and my only concern because I ha- I've not really hit a movie of his that I haven't liked yet. The only one that I didn't like was uh, and I can I couldn't remember the name of it earlier either. The uh, uh, ex- the Pineapple Express, the fucking uh, <laughs> Pineapple Express. Yeah, yeah, that, that's yeah. so close. Yeah, yeah. The Darjeeling Limited. Yeah, that's it. That's, <laughs> that's it. That's yeah. funny. Oh, I'm gonna call that the Pineapple <laughs> Express for now. That's a better name. Uh, the Darjeeling Limited, but it's I only saw it once. I need to see it again and and, and reassess that one. That's the only one. It's I not like. the strongest, but it's yeah. it's good. Uh, but that being said, you know my fear is that he's about to become Tim Burton. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That he's gonna get so wrapped up in his own style. Uh, suddenly his movies won't be enjoyable to watch anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, the one reason I say I have faith in him is whereas Tim Burton has decided to never work with anybody who's not Johnny Depp yeah. at, ever, yeah. no matter what. Johnny Depp's his star for from here until Johnny Depp dies. Whereas Wes Anderson seems to keep his regulars, but he's also cycling in newbies. Oh, yeah. And also giving uh, nameless actors a chance. I mean, mm-hmm. the kid who plays Zero is yeah. is in, I think, nothing before that. And he was great. And Bill Murray's part in Grand Budapest Hotel is so minor. Yeah, I was actually and, mad about that in Grand I Budapest Hotel. I was like, if come on, If it starred dude. all Bill Murray's... Well, also, it starred everyone that's ever been in a Wes Anderson oh, movie. Yeah, yeah. And so most of them just got, like, a line of dialogue. I was like, what a waste. Well, if the gods are good, Ray Fiennes will be in all Wes Anderson Oh, he was awesome. Now in it perfect fit he dove right in dude he was so good in so it so good i loved him darling yeah. darling everyone's darling yeah he was so uh, what i uh, we're gonna be talking about that movie i just love the idea that concierge stick together like there's a yes, code yes, there's yes. a code of ethics yeah. and you can call him whatever you want but the last thing you should ever ever call him is unprofessional <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. He, he gets the job done yeah. and he gets it done well and people come back for his services <laughs> Yeah, I I did really enjoy that movie. Uh, but back to Rushmore. Uh, yes. 
it uh, it, the oh one of the other things we talked about uh, is one of my favorite things about Rushmore. I love uh, bringing this up to people when when they want to talk about the movie uh, is the way he's able to illustrate that Max and Bloom are the same person Mm -hmm. Uh, because they are. That's one of the points of the movie too is we're watching the same character at two different points in his life, Uh, and there's a a visual way that he does it that that I really really like, and I, I only noticed. You know, having seen the movie just a shitload of times at a certain point, I was like, oh, that's the same fucking shot again. Uh, Early in the movie, when uh, Max introduces himself to, uh, what is the woman's name, by the way? Cross. Uh, When he introduces himself to Cross, uh, it's on some bleachers, and it starts with Cross on the left side of the bleachers and Max on the right side. And he sits down, and he opens up a conversation. They have a little bit of conversation. He moves in real close, sits down right next to her. They have a little bit of conversation. He moves back to the other side. They continue to have their conversation, and to end the conversation, he moves back in real close. Mm-hmm. So it's like he, it's this back and forth, back and forth as he's having this conversation with her. Later in the movie, Bloom shows up on Cross's doorstep, uh, rings the doorbell, and then walks like 10 feet back away from the mm-hmm. house. And then they have a conversation where Bloom is standing about 10 feet away from her. At a certain point in the conversation, he walks up real close to her and continues the conversation, then walks back real far away from her, continues the conversation, and then ends the conversation by walking back up real close to her. Mm -hmm. He has the exact same, and it's awkward in the same way Max's conversation is. Uh, It's weird because when Max does it, it plays as awkward like, oh, he's 15. Yeah, he doesn't doesn't know what he's he's doing. doing. And when Bill Murray does it, it just plays as hilarious Mm -hmm. because... He clearly knows what he's doing, but he's flustered because he's actually affected by this woman. Yes, yes. You know, and it, yeah. it plays. Whereas, like Max would have been affected by any woman that he felt was his intellectual equal. He yes, would have acted the yes. same way. And for Bloom, it almost seems like it's out of sorts. Like he doesn't know what to do with himself. Yeah, that he's talking to this. I mean, he he literally just shows up on her doorstep to just hi, I'm yeah. here. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, a moment, can we have a moment? Yeah. You know, like he doesn't know what he's doing. But he plays it with that that Bill Murray cool. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, I can watch him do anything. Oh my god, he's he is so funny to me. Oh, we had there. It, this is, speaks to his actual like acting too. Like we spent a lot of the movie just being like he's so funny. Mm. He's like it's crazy how funny he is. Everything he does is and so he's funny. A good fucking actor. That's what I was about to say. There's that scene. So one of the jokes early in the movie is that uh, you know Max is always trying to live above his actual status, mm. uh, and so one of the early lies that he tells is that his father is a neurosurgeon. Mm. Uh, What we eventually found out is his father is a barber. Uh, And so later, later, later in the movie, once uh, both Max and Bloom have hit rock bottom, uh, Max brings uh, Bloom. They've hit rock bottom, and now Max is kind of finally coming out of that. He's getting back on top, and he invites Bloom to come meet him at his father's barbershop to try and get Bloom like back in action. And he sits him down in the barbershop, and he introduces him, and he says, this is my father. And... Bill Murray does not say anything. He just looks at the man that he says, this is my father, sees how he's dressed, realizes he's in a barber shop, realizes there's no one else in there, that this must be the barber, that this man that he just introduces his father is the barber. Mm-hmm. And he just has this, it's just a split second, but he gives him this look where he's just like, oh, I get it. Yeah, he understands Max uh, not, completely. Not only do... I just realized he lied to me. I just realized you are actually his father and not a neurosurgeon. I just realized the reason he lied to me. I just realized exactly what Max has been going through since the moment I met him. Oh, yeah. And exactly the kind of person he, he is. And he sees where he, just where he came from. Yeah. Immediately. Yep. And and that that is one of those moments that that's a strong script moment. That's a strong, strong Bill Murray script. acting But what I'm move saying is it's a moment. strong script moment. And a good actor pulls it off 
but Bill Murray like nailed it. It's, it, it's so good. It's it's hardly even a Bill Murray moment so much as it's a Herman Bloom moment. Yes, I mean, and that's a testament to to how good of an acting job. Uh, Bill Murray's capable of doing because you could dismiss this as like yeah it's old Bert Bill Murray versus some kid <laughs> yeah, 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 but yeah. then you see moments like this and you go oh he didn't just show up and did Bill Murray shtick on a on a set which right he could he could pave the way to to you know he could live the rest of his life doing roles like that <laughs> yeah just, ah, I'm Bill Murray hey Bill Murray with an elephant go yeah you know but he really brought his a game and it shows there I mean, yeah that's and you know what turned out to be a million times funnier than Bill Murray with an elephant. Bill Murray in Budweiser bathing suit with a lit cigarette yes. in his mouth, standing on a diving board, drinking a whiskey. A Budweiser bathing suit that his ass is just eating. Oh, yeah. yeah it's just eating it. Yeah. Oh, it's disgusting. That is the great scene. Uh, it's the same pool that is now filled with golf balls. Yes, yep. He just walks up to the... He has a high dive. Yep. He's got a high dive in his leaf, his cloudy leaf-filled pool. I would never... I wouldn't even push an enemy. In, I would push an enemy in there. <laughs> And he downs his drink and jumps in with the cigarette. You know what I also just realized? I never even thought about this. There's a kid swimming in there. Not even that. It's clearly the fall. Yeah. It's it's clearly the fall. fall. Those are really old leaves. Yeah. But yeah, he jumps in in and does a cannonball and then just floats under the water. And it's a great, like, almost suicidal moment because there's a kid. Inexplicably, there's Mm -hmm. a kid in this this disgusting pool. Oh, I like to imagine it's the kid he threw a golf ball at. Oh, okay. It probably was. Yeah. And the kid swims by him, and Bill Murray just gives him, once again, great acting job. Underwater, holding his breath, yeah. floating in cannonball formation with just his eyes. Bill Murray says, fuck off, kid. Yeah. And the kid swims away fearfully. He's so good in this movie. And so it's like, good. Uh, and he really does pull off like Bloom as a, as a character. It's Absolutely. not, you're right. This movie very easily could have been Bill Murray versus a teenager. Mm-hmm. And it's not at all. And think about uh, Life Aquatic. That's yeah. an enti- that is still Bill Murray shtick. Oh, yeah. But that's an entirely different character yes. than Bloom. Yes. And that once again could have been like, what if Bill Murray was, a, you know, a do- was a documentary filmmaker like Jacques Cousteau? I'd watch it, but yeah. it's it's something more. Yeah, know? yeah. I uh, to credit Bill Murray, I, did you ever see uh, uh, what's the Get Smart with Steve Carell? No. There's one scene in it, and it, a testament to Bill Murray being able to pull off anything. Okay. There's uh, there, he's uh, Steve Carell's gonna visit this undercover agent, and so he just walks up to this tree. And he knocks on the tree and like a little hole opens up in it. And it's clearly like positioned above whoever's inside. Yeah. It's Bill Murray because he's like on his tiptoes yeah, yeah. through the hole. And it, the whole character is that he's just lonely in there. He's like, hey, how are you? And he's like, good. I just need this information. He's like, oh, that's great. Blah, blah, blah. Huh, so what's up? What's up? He's like, oh, nothing. I got to go. And he's like, well, that's cool. But like, you know, whatever you're done doing, what you're doing, if you, if you like come back and hang out a little bit. No, no. Okay, that's fine. That's, fine. that's you know? great. And he's just this agent who's trapped in this this he's undercover as a tree i like that but it's bill murray just crushing it yeah he's guy he's incredible i don't everything he does is like i don't know every he's little great. thing he yeah. does is magic <laughs> uh you want to find a negative review of uh of rushmore i do um and uh as you do that i i guess uh you know i, I think the reason dan and i wanted to to watch this and include this in in the list of of movie movies that we're building uh, is because, uh, you know, I don't think it can be argued that Wes Anderson is not a movie-movie filmmaker. Almost every movie he makes is a is a movie-movie at, like, a pretty grand level to the point where we're almost complaining about it. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, but that this one in particular really uh, 
it does it really works uh i think it really works for both of us uh it, it's it, funny it's really it's funny. So funny it's a really funny movie uh and its story just feels like it really w- clicks and 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 works it it, it fu- it really functions as a um, as as both a comedy and sort of a drama, uh, without feeling like it's uh, copping out for one or the other, uh, which is a rare thing I think in movies. Normally, it feels like one draws a little more than the other, uh, and he, you know, it establishes all of these things that Wes Anderson would go on to be known for in a much more subtle way that I think makes them them. Uh, I don't know. They just work better. They function for me. I feel like I can relate to the story more than his other movies. Well, it's not. It's not battering me over the head. Like right. I'm a movie. I'm a movie. I'm a movie. Right. But I. I don't think it discounts it from being a movie. Movie because if you if you under scrutiny, there's some very clever, creative, and oh, artistic yeah. direction going on. Um, heck, if if anything, you know. If his filmmaking got less reserved, his soundtracks got more reserved. Right. Like, it's still very much a movie movie. Oh, yeah. But it's not sitting there going, I'm a movie, watch me. Right. It, it, it's more welcoming. And I that's think. why I would argue it's actually more of a movie movie than a lot of his other movies. It feels like this one uh, came from a very, like, uh, natural place. It's a little more naturalistic than his other movies. Well, at 89% on Rotten Tomatoes, there's not, not many much. negatives, yeah. But this one, I think, is this is just the blurb that's posted there from Marty Mapes of Movie Habit. <laughs> Um, this is his one word, re- one word. No, it's many words. His one line review is the quirkiness seems a little forced, a little overdone, which is crazy because I mean, I wish you could just like click that guy's name and look at all the rest of his movies. Well, I just wonder how he feels about later. Wes. Anderson. That's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Look at the rest of Wes Anderson's career, how he felt about it. Let's see what Marty Mapes has to say. And uh, all the negative ones are just saying eh, it's forced. It's yeah, forced. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is, is so silly when you think about what was to come from Wes Anderson. Oh, look at this Grand Budapest Hotel. Marty Mapes said he gave it a positive. He said whirlwind. It's spelled wrong. Real wind storytelling leaves the emotional core behind. So he he wasn't perfect with it, but it's right. still a positive in there. Unless this is just one of those ones that Rotten Tomatoes fucked up. Um, he loved Inside Lewin Davis. Clutch. Didn't like the counselor. Mm, no one did. I can't find any. There's no way to look that up. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. There's so many things to click, but here's another one. Uh, yeah, the charm is a little too forced. The story barely barely believable, and it's a lore overly calculated. Huh. Well, that one sounds like a victim of the press. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, he's uh, if it's the allure is overly calculated. Um, I want to click this guy's full review because his blurb says, what I wanted was a larger perspective, something more insightful than the one thing after another existential whimsy. Hey, uh, that's actually, a pre- I feel like a pretty good description of uh, what Wes Anderson does, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the first line of his review is, is amazing. Max Fisher, the 15-year-old protagonist of Wes Anderson's well-reviewed comedy Rushmore, looks like Tom Cruise with his face pinched between a giant's thumb and forefinger (laughs) so that his tiny eyes are squashed together and his big nose and teeth pop out. Jesus Christ. With his thick black glasses, he looks as if he's being photographed through a fishbowl, an effect that the director intensifies by shooting much of the movie with a fishbowl lens. I don't think he shot any of the movie with a fishbowl lens. No, I don't think that guy knows what a fishbowl lens. I think he assumes that every time he showed them through an aquarium, Uh, that was a fishbowl lens. Probably. (laughs) That they literally just put cameras inside of fishbowls, let the fish swim around. I think what he's saying is Jason Schwartzman's ugly. I th- honestly, what it really sounded to me like was what he was saying was, this guy was too Jewish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> More like Rushmore, huh? Yeah. Um, 
Oh, and this is funny here. Uh, how, I repeat, are we supposed to take Max? Are we to cheer his ludicrous efforts to bed a woman twice his age? Is it supposed to be cute when he sights the aquarium in the middle of the school's baseball diamond and brings in bulldozers without informing anyone in the administration? Anderson and Wilson are poker-faced. Max's obnoxiousness might be meant as a state of grace. So that's funny. He was frustrated by what is the allure of the movie, yeah. is that he does these ridiculous things. I wonder. I wonder. I also disagree that he was trying to bed that woman. Yeah, I, I don't because when uh, she pulled out the sex talk on him, yeah, it, like threw him for a. That's loop. she realizes that's the way to hurt him mm. because that's why I said I, I I said a little bit earlier in the podcast I was realizing as we were talking about it I kind of think there's uh, they don't really state this anywhere but I, I sort of get the impression that uh, part of this is just like uh, the. Um, like an Oedipus complex thing. Like part oh, of this, I think, is she probably reminds him a little bit of his mom. Absolutely. Oh, I think that's definitely yeah. intended. Yeah. Yeah. And it's. Uh, I lost my thought. I don't know. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, but I, you know, I think that plays into that, which is just like I, I don't know how sexual this was for for Max. Oh, that's what I want to talk about. Yeah. The scene where that happens. There's a scene where he really pulls a, a go for broke move. He stages a bicycle crash yeah. rather theatrically and hilariously. Yes. And uh, climbs up to her second story window yep. and fakes as if he's injured and basically uses it as a chance to get into her bed. Yes. And at this point is really the first moment where I think it becomes sexual uh -huh. for him. Yep. Because he realizes if it's all or nothing, I got to go for all. Exactly. Because as soon as she lets him in and goes downstairs, he leaps into the bed like a little kid, you know, leaping yes, into the bed. Yes, and on he Christmas puts like Eve. some sexy music on and oh, he does yeah. try and kiss her at one point. He does. And uh, it's weird because she doesn't outright reject him until. You know, she then uh, realizes that he's a... Uh, this is all a setup of some kind. And wait, actually, this is a completely different scene now that I'm thinking about it. Because it's after this scene. Uh, I, I forgot she didn't give him the talk in that scene. It was in the classroom. Right. She actually gives him the talk before this happens, I think. Oh, okay, okay. Either, oh, yeah, uh, either way, but uh, the one thing that she threw at him because uh, is, you know, what were you going to do, fuck me? You're going to yeah. tell your friends that you fingered me and did this? Yeah. And she uses all this very sexually frank language. Yes. And it... it, it flabbergast him. He's, yeah, he can't take it. He can't take it. He doesn't it. want to think about her that way. Exactly. He, he almost doesn't know how to think yeah. about someone sexually. He's 15. Yeah. It's just boners and... and yeah, and, yeah, you yeah know, exactly. At that age. And so he just... It's, it's, a, it's a reality check. Yep. And kudos to... Uh, Jason Schwartzman for being a nobody. Yeah, I mean he was probably fifteen, sixteen, seventeen uh -huh. when this when this came out. Yep, and to be able to understand that and play that, I mean it wasn't just him playing himself. There is a character. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And that scene really showcases. Oh yeah, it. yeah, um, yeah. So I don't. I I think this movie definitely. Uh, it, it's. I mean it's one of my favorite comedies. It is so funny to me. Uh, and as a comedy, I feel like uh, you know often one of my biggest problems with comedies is. At the end of the day, you just go like, "Oh, that had some funny stuff in it." Mm -hmm. That's like a, that's how I feel about a lot of comedies. Mm -hmm. you, it's over, and you're just like, "Oh yeah, I liked this thing and this thing," but overall, it's like not a great movie. Mm. This really stands apart, I think, as like a really great movie and a really interesting story and a really fun movie to watch that is consistently funny the whole time. And Absolutely. they actually it really tell, is funny for a lot of heavy-handed really subject matter. Yeah, it, it, it plays a lot. It's very funny, and it but but it's also it's a movie. It's got a story and very real characters and a very real world that it all exists in. That doesn't happen enough with comedies i don't think so many movies are just like we'll just throw a plot into the comedy yeah yeah, yeah. joke know, they machines just, yeah exactly it's a yeah. joke machine whereas this is a, a movie first and a comedy second yeah right, it's a movie and a comedy at the same yeah, time yeah 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 and it's uh uh 
Oh yeah, the the one thing that that uh, wasn't as refined here, but you can see it happening. That I think Wes Anderson is the master of. Yeah, and the Apatow universe can borrow from him. I, I think with this is the art of the early cut by ever so much. Yes, or yeah. the late cut by ever so much. Because either there's a conversation that it's like when you play a note that's that uh, you know is uh, it's not resolved, an unresolved note. Yeah, and it's uh, and you're waiting for it. And then they hit you, bah, you know. Yeah. He never lets that second part come. It'll be a conversation that builds to a certain crescendo and then just cuts yeah. too quickly. And it's comical because you're like, well, oh. And then at the same time, a conversation will end and then they'll add half a second of just more uncomfortableness. Yeah. Or something in the background will infect the scene. Yeah. And that's something that in the, the modern uh, post-mumblecore kind of half-scripted, half-improv, uh, that... That's a tool that's almost used to fix a scene that has no end. Uh-huh. Here is a scene where it is the end, but yeah. they play with that expectation. It's brilliant. Yeah, and it's it's strong in Rushmore. It's not as, but it's not as noticeable. Uh huh. And it's not as in your face, and so it's it's a more natural laugh. I agree. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, I think. Yeah. Let's wrap it up on on Rushmore. We got our we got I, our I negative think that's review out of the way. To say. We got the negative review in. Uh. Man, I feel like we got to figure out how to end this show. That's that's where it always falls apart for me. I never know how to end this show. Well, um, I was thinking about this. I mean, do we have what kind of time we got? We got time. Okay. Um, I was thinking let's let's rank the the Wes Anderson movies as best we can. Okay. And then I'll look them up and we'll see how close we go. Okay, I like that. So okay. Um, I guess we don't. You don't have any paper. I do. But I'm gonna pull out my my phone here. I'm gonna make some notes. I got it. Uh, all right. All right, so let me get the the IMDb, and we will. I'll I'll put out the uh, the names, and play along at home, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless you're driving, it's a bad idea to play movie games with a notepad and paper while you're driving. It's very distracting to th- do two things at once, like talking and operating an iPad. Yeah, you can't do it. So uh, okay, so the 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 way we're gonna play this game is we are going to rank uh, Wes Anderson's movies uh, from highest to lowest Rotten Tomatoes rating. Yes. Uh, so the goal is not what did Dan and I think. The goal is what does Rotten Tomatoes think. Well, no, no. I think what we should do is do what we think. Oh, okay. And see how close we are okay, with the critical sure. critical. Well, then Rushmore up top, right? Uh, well, let's l- let's put out the movies and we'll we'll order them. So there's a. Grand Budapest Hotel. Yep. Moonrise Kingdom. Yep. Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yep. Darjeeling Limited. Yep. Life Aquatic. Yep. Royal Tenenbaums. Yep. Rushmore. Uh-huh. And Bottle Rock. Uh-huh. Um, would you care to take a stab at it? Yeah. Uh, I am going to say... Well, that's what I'm saying. I, I'm going to go... This will be mine. Mine will be Rushmore. Uh, then I'm going to go... Um, man, do this is I always I like Rushmore, uh, Tannenbaum's Life Aquatic the best I think of all of his movies. Uh, that little trilogy I think is great, but I, oh, I can never beautiful. decide what order to put them all in. Uh, you have the same top three as me. I think I'm actually gonna put Life Aquatic over Tannenbaum's. That's you just how I'm feeling right now. Guess what? Bones me, buddy. That's where I'm at. Boom, yeah. Yep, boom. That's how I'm feeling right now. Uh. Then I think I might actually go Moonrise Kingdom myself. I know you're going to deviate there, but I, I think that would be my next on the list. I'll bet you're going to go Fox. Yep. Yeah. I got to. Where would I put Bottle Rocket? I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, Moonrise for me. Uh, then probably 
Grand Budapest. Uh, See, here's the thing. I feel like in order to do this list properly, I have a caveat. It's been probably about eight years since I've seen Bottle Rocket. I haven't seen it in a long time either, and and a couple of his I've only seen once. And those are actually going to be on the bottom of my list. But I feel like, yeah, I feel like all, and Moonrise Kingdom for me deserves a rewatch. Yeah. Perhaps I'm being harsh on it. I did see it on a particularly awful date. Ah. So that that could have a huge thing. But I I think I have my list. I think I've Um, got mine too. So I go Rushmore. The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, Royal Tenenbaums, Fantastic Mr. Fox, Grand Budapest Hotel, Darjeeling Limited, Bottle Rocket, Moonrise Kingdom. Uh, I went Rushmore, Life Aquatic, Tenenbaums, Moonrise Kingdom, Grand Budapest Hotel, Bottle Rocket, Fantastic Mr. Fox, Darjeeling Limited. Nice. And Fantastic Mr. Fox and Darjeeling Limited have only seen once, so that probably explains how they ended up down there. I feel like his movies tend to grow on me the more I watch them. Yeah, that's he's definitely a... Uh, once once you get the plot out of the way and you can just really inspect the movie, yeah. you know, upon repeat viewings, yeah. it grows. Um, okay, so uh, the top here, his highest rated is Moonrise Kingdom. Oh, wow. His lowest is Life Aquatic. But Interesting. Let's, let's, uh, Give me those percentages. All right, yeah, let's do the percentages and then we'll put them in order. Yeah. So Grand Budapest Hotel is at a 92%. Okay. Uh, Moonrise Kingdom is at a 94 Okay. Um, Fantastic Mr. Fox, 92 Okay. Darjeeling Limited, uh, 68. Uh-huh. Life Aquatic, 55. It's the wow. only one that's, that's rotten. Uh, Royal Tenenbaums, 81. Uh-huh. Rushmore is 89. Uh-huh. And Bottle Rocket is 84. Uh-huh. So what's the order on that? So Moonrise is the top. All right. Uh, then we've got two 92s, uh, which would be Grand Budapest and Fantastic Mr. Fox. Okay. So those will be tied for two and three. Uh, then we've got 89% Rushmore. Okay, Number cool, four. cool. Uh, then we've got 84% being Bottle Rocket. Number five, 81% being Tannenbaums. Number six, uh, 68% being Darjeeling Limited. That's a pretty big jump. Number seven, and 55% being Life Aquatic. Number eight. That's wild. Isn't that weird? I really love Life Aquatic, but I will say this. The first time I saw it, I was like, that was all right. I did not enjoy it that much the first yeah. time I saw it. And it grew. And it's, it re- dude, it's very funny. It's very funny, and it's very good. Oh, it's very uh, good. The, I, I, the older I get, the more I really like father-son stories. I mm. think it, I, you know, I have a good relationship with my dad. I, in, it, for something about those stories, like really, really uh, uh, sort of touches me. I, I like father-son stories. Uh, and the it... It I, for some reason it never even registered with me until I'd seen it a few times that that is what that is. It's a father son story. Mm. Uh, it's a story of a father who wants a son and a son who wants a father, but neither of them have really had that or know what to do with that or how to treat that. And they're on a boat. And they're on a boat. Uh, and actually, there there's a a little bit of a love triangle there too. Oh yeah, because there's oh god, I, if there's one woman I'm more in love with than anyone. Kate Blanchett. No, it's Kate Blanchett. Uh-huh. Oh, she looks I agree. Good. Even as a pregnant woman, I don't care. I saw a girl at a party that looked like Kate Blanchett once, oh. and uh, I, I'll never love again. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that'll happen. Uh, she just I didn't even meet her. her. I saw her, yeah. and I'll never love again. Did you ever see Coffee and Cigarettes? Where I did. It's two Kate Blanchett's, Blanchett's, and they're both equally hot for different reasons? Yeah. And then I'm just I'm trying to Wes Anderson so style talented. zoom in on that and live in that world for oh, the rest of my life. That would be amazing. Yeah. Oh. I got to go masturbate. I'll be back. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, that I, I maybe maybe I'm being too kind to Life Aquatic just because it stars my yeah. wife. No, no, no. I I do think that movie is like genuinely like really great. Uh, I do too. And I actually think overall of his other movies really does have something to say. There's something to that father son story that I think Absolutely. is like important. And that also was he introduced uh, Henry Selick into the mix. Oh yeah, and brought in uh, claymation. Yep, and that's something that has now become in his in his. Oh, toolbox, absolutely. You know? Yeah, it's, it's part of his uh, part of his game. Yeah. So uh, we we were off base entirely with our rankings. Oh, I know. Well, that's fine. We're movie movie. We do it different, y'all. Right. That's a shame right, that Life Aquatic has such a low rating. There. I want to see what some of the uh, negative reviews say here. Yeah, let's do that. It is. Like the jaguar shark, Life Aquatic is hard to get a hook into. He just wanted to say that. Yeah. Life Aquatic drifts along at a lazy pace. The occasional encounter with pirates notwithstanding. Oh, yeah. I forgot. He just like executes pirates with his gun that's badass. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but this is probably my favorite review. This is a positive one. If you go with it, you'll love the film. Yeah. Uh, that's That's about it. Aquatic seems willfully eccentric without ever letting the rest of us in on the joke. That person obviously didn't go with it. Oh, uh, yeah. Yep. Although we criticize negative reviews, they're allowed to think this way. It's okay. It's true. There's no doubt that Anderson is an inventive filmmaker bursting with ideas. The problem is that he hasn't found a powerful story to contain them. Hmm, odd. That's interesting. See, I enjoyed that story. Yeah. I do. I kind of get what that one guy was saying, though, about like, oh, he creates this joke and then doesn't let us in on it. Absolutely. Because that's that's kind of what I was saying before that uh, it's like Rushmore has like sort of a broad, a broader appeal to it. Mm-hmm. His other movies get so specific that you you do have to be in on what is essentially an inside joke. Absolutely, you have to get, to get what the humor of it. Is. Which is why you have to like with the first couple times you see Wes Anderson. Like, I think now I've seen enough Wes Anderson movies that I can watch one in the first time. I don't miss a lot, mm-hmm. but I. I th- with those first couple movies he released, I didn't know that's what I was getting into necessarily. Absolutely. And I had to watch them a couple of times to really get into that world and get that joke. You watched them as if they were a movie. Right. It was not just a Wes Anderson movie. Right, yeah. That's a... That's something that that can bite you in the foot, like Tim Burton. Yep, and it's something that can allow you to flourish. In the case of uh, Wes Anderson, yeah, he I created mean, a language all his own that absolutely. he's been able to sort of teach the film-going audience so that they can speak it with him. Mm-hmm. And, and I wonder how much uh, you know when you influence a uh, you know when you influence a style. I mean, there's plenty of people that, that yeah. can homage uh, Wes Anderson as an and he's homaging a ton of people as absolutely. well. Yeah, and that that's just a constant yep. snowballing. But you know, I, I think when you see people imitating your art, there is a there's probably a drive to do something different, which is probably why he's more branded. I, I can imagine. Yeah. You know, it's just that you go that way. Yeah. I just want to see him do like do a sci-fi story. Or, I don't know. I want to see him step out of, of Wes Anderson world. Oh yeah. Do something wild. Yeah. Either apply Wes Anderson world to something really wild. Well, I mean, fantastic. Mr. Fox, he tried claymation. Yeah, so then maybe I don't want to see him apply his style to something. Maybe I want to see him break out of his style. Mm, do something. I mean, it's you see it. Uh, I, honestly, and it's weird. I, I don't want to make this comparison, but I will. I do find him similar to David O. Russell. Uh-huh. Uh, I think when you go to their their roots, they have like a similar. It's not even the same visual style, but there's just a similar feel, mm-hmm. and they've both kind of branched off into different things. Mm-hmm. But I, I would say that they're mutually inspired to one another. Mm-hmm. You know, they they both draw from one another. And, um, you know, whereas you do have the, the Tim Burton where I don't know if he draws from anyone anymore. He's just circle jerking himself. Yeah. 
But it's it's uh He's like, I, I really like the, the way I designed that tree back in Edward Scissorhands. I'm just only gonna use that oh, yeah. tree. Do you guys like spirals and Johnny Depp? <laughs> well, I've got a treat for you. It's called whatever that movie was called about vampires in the seventies where Johnny Depp's eyes are actually spirals. What is that movie? Is that I don't remember what it was called. Also, I, th- I don't think his eyes were actually spirals. I would like to that joke might have worked if I knew what it was called. I I'm gonna look it up. Let's Google Johnny Depp spiral eyeballs. <laughs> Say that five times. It's <laughs> not gonna help. I want to see Wes Anderson do a musical. That would work if he could do something that is essentially a play. Yeah, you know, and just film it like a play and do it as a. I mean, a that musical. is what he's doing. He just needs to add oh, music. Yeah. If he adds music to it, um, I, did you ever see the Woody Allen movie? Everyone says I love you. No, it's a musical. Yeah, uh, starring Edward Norton. Yeah, and um, and interestingly enough, everybody sang their own parts except for Drew Barrymore. But it's <laughs> so well done that you can't tell it's yeah. not her. But it's a, it's a cool musical, but it's just a Woody Allen movie yeah. where he took what we all expect to be a Woody yep. Allen movie. I'm an awkward New Yorker. Oh, look at all these ladies I'm banging, and I don't know how. <laughs> I'm actu- but I'm actually banging them in real life, too. Um, and they're kids. No, I'm kidding. He didn't do that. Oh. I, I, st- I stand by that he didn't do that. I'm defending you, Woody. And um, uh, he took that and just said, let's make a musical out of it. Yeah. If you could take Royal Tenenbaums and like, let's make a music, I have... I think it would be amazing. Yeah, I agree. I would like to see what he can do with His that. style would certainly work as a musical. I'd also like to see uh, a hard-boiled war movie. No, I don't want to see that. <laughs> I, I'm trying to think of who I'd like to see him team up with. Because he works well with, with Owen Wilson, with Noah yeah, Baumbach. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and you can see their influences. I mean, yeah. Darjeeling Limited is very clearly influenced by Roman Coppola. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, and Owen Wilson's just a really funny guy. Yeah. And I feel like you know when you have things like uh, Rushmore, it has that kind of... yeah. Wilson-y vibe to it, I guess. Uh-huh, I, don't know. Uh-huh. I would like to see Wes Anderson pair up with... Uh... Oh, man. I don't know who I'd like yeah, to Yeah, I don't with. know. I'm trying to think of whose quirk he could play off with. What if he wrote a movie with the Coen brothers? Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. That'd be really awesome, yeah. actually. I would like to see him write a movie with the Coen brothers and... I don't know if I'd like them to direct or him to direct. It'd be funny to watch them direct each other's scripts. Yeah, oh, that would be kind of cool. Yeah. That would be an interesting project to see what the Coen brothers can do with a Rushmore. Yeah. And then see what, because uh, like Fargo would be, or no, Burn After Reading would oh be Oh my God. Yeah. That would be a, a great West Anderson, Anderson movie. Because it's just characters yeah. and going, you know, bouncing off. That would be a cool, uh, just like an idea. Like, uh, I feel like something, f- somebody like Funny or Die, somebody of that caliber could probably pull off is getting directors together and being like, okay, we're just going to do like a short film thing mm. where Wes Anderson's going to write a five minute film and the Coen brothers are going to direct it and they're going to write a five minute film and Wes Anderson's going to direct it. Mm-hmm. Just have them make each other's scripts as short. F- you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be an awesome. I would watch the shit out of that. I would like a series of directors having to direct each other's scripts, just short films. Copyright right here. Yep. We said it first. It's yep. on record. Movie, 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 movie. <laughs> it's, um, I, I think that, uh, Oh man. See, now I just want to talk about the Coen brothers. We got to do a Coen brothers. Movie oh, we definitely need to do one. Yeah. And, um, they, they just did the, the Fargo TV show just came out. I really want to see that. I, like I watched like the, the t- opening 10 minutes or whatever they put online. And it was good. I rewatched Fargo maybe about two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And it was the second time I saw it ever. Oh, wow. And it's interesting that you say, you know, uh, you know, Wes Anderson. Because he, he uh, I don't know if he came up the same time as the Coens. I think they were doing it a little bit longer. But that's another one where I'd say there was like mutual influence. Mm-hmm. Because I agree. Because I, I see a lot of uh, a lot of what the Coens do in Wes Anderson's mm-hmm. work. But then you see something that is post Wes Anderson, which is the uh, like Burn After Reading, mm-hmm. which very much has so many of those abbreviated cuts mm-hmm. and extended cuts to mm-hmm. end punchlines where there aren't. Mm-hmm. And it's it, I would love to see them collect. Yeah, 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 I think that would be fun. 
Well, we worked that one out. Yeah. <laughs> that was easy. Um, all right, you ready to you ready to sign off on this one? Seal yeah, the deal. Let's seal the deal. Um, do you got anything you'd like to uh, recommend? Oh, right, recommends. Well, uh, I have seen two very incredible movies since the last time we recorded. It's a shame that I saw one of them after the episode we recorded last. We recorded. Oh yeah. I saw Captain America: The Winter Soldier, and it blew my goddamn dick off. Yeah. Uh, it's a dick blower. Can I tell you? I watched the Avengers the other night because mm-hmm. I was like so pumped up on Cap Two. I watched it the day before I saw Cap Two. Okay, so here's wins. the thing. Watch it again now. Guess what? Never been a cheesier movie made than the Avengers. Not kidding. Watch the Avengers after watching oh, yeah. Cap Two, and I was like, this movie is cheesy as shit. Oh yeah, but it's wantonly cheesy. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. I'm I not still s- think the Avengers is overall better. But I love no. that. I love that Captain America Two isn't I, a superhero movie. I'm telling you, dude. I think Captain America Two blew it out of the water. You're not alone. When I walked the, out of the theater, I didn't feel that way. I was like, I still think the Avengers is more fun. I had a lot of fun watching the mm. Avengers. And I went back and watched it, and I was like, this movie's fun, but it's cheesy as hell. Captain America is like a fucking movie. Oh yeah, that's they a made a goddamn movie. movie, and it and is. What I like good. about Captain America over the Avengers is Captain America does fit into the franchise, but it is its own movie. Yes, the Avengers does feel like a middle chapter at yes. some point, just because it's bookended by all those movies. Yep. Captain America is a Bond movie. It is a board and it movie. It was starring awesome. Cap. It was so good. And hey, Falcon. here's another thing that I, I really liked about it. Uh, they uh, and here uh, we'll fucking get into this again. This is what I really liked about it. You don't have to make a superhero movie gritty as shit and everybody oh, yeah. really angry and mean for it to be serious and exactly. good. Exactly, it was. Fun. They made a good serious movie that was still fun as shit. And you know what? It was. It Fuck wasn't Man without Steel. humor. <laughs> it wasn't without humor either. Yeah, I can't wait to do that episode. <laughs> no, but I agree. There's there's a lot more joy and 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 happiness to be found in Captain. But America. it's still like a very serious movie. Oh, absolutely. And the like stakes really are high. works. Yeah. Mm, yep. And I think that's uh where Marvel exceeds over DC in yes. the film un- in the film universe yep. at least is just they do know how to keep it entertaining oh yeah you know it, it doesn't have to be a statement it can just be a movie yep and then you might find a statement i mean yeah. captain america 2 is a very much a product of its times i mm-hmm. mean it's mm-hmm. definitely a parable about drone warfare oh my god yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and about what it and means NSA to be an american. And watching and exactly. spying and yep and it has implications that that come from our universe that fit into the the marvel universe yeah and i like the idea that captain america you can't beat him. I mean, he'd yeah, catch yeah, a bullet yeah. in his teeth. He's Captain America, whatever. His shield will stop whatever you throw mm-hmm. at him. It's fine, whatever. So instead of attacking his physicality, they attack his ideals. Yes. He is this picture of an, of an America that is not alive anymore. Yep. And in the world of the Avengers, it's it's you know, it's very much different because there's, oh, yeah. you know, universes colliding. So it's <laughs> yeah. it's awesome. I I loved that movie. It was great. And then I uh I also saw The Raid 2 Vernondale <sighs> and uh Holy shit! Yeah, that's a good movie. That is a real good movie. That is a crime epic. Would you Would you say it was better than the raid or not? No, I, I I was thinking it was for a while, but then I realized I'd probably rewatch the raid one more. I agree with you. That's I was that was the thought that went through my head when I said no. Was I think I would probably rewatch the raid. I don't know that I would rewatch the raid two. Mm. I think the raid, although I'd it, watch scenes from the raid two over and over. I, I would say I was just gonna say I would rewatch a ton of scenes from it over and over. Uh, and although it is probably a better m- movie in the sense that it really has like a really great story that you can sink your teeth into, I think mm. uh, it's very long, and that story detracts from what was so great about the raid, which was just nonstop, endless action. We barely need a plot line, mm. and and it still found a good plot yes, in the middle of yes. it. Yeah, it was a little a little long. I mean, I. I 
What I liked about it is if they just did the same thing where it was like, now it's 30 stories, yeah, go. Exactly. It been we would have just been like, okay, this is neat. I love that it took it a totally yeah. different direction. It tried to and it was a good movie. It. it was really good. It was good, and yeah. it made sense. It was. Uh, I mean, there were some things that were that were hokey to me about it where I was like, well, why did he do that? Yeah, yeah. But it didn't matter. It's just, you know, I feel bad for the guy's wife, really, because he's just, uh-huh. I'm home, but I got to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To yeah. fight a lot of people. Like, yeah bad people i have to become a uh, a horrible oh, human yeah. being it, uh, it was so good though and, and i love a good undercover cop yeah, drama yeah. even if it's not great you yep. know, the same way i'll take time travel i'll take a con uh-huh, movie uh-huh. anytime um yeah go see that and if you can see that in the theater and and hold your pee it's worth it it's <laughs> yeah, totally yeah, yeah. The, awesome. it's got some badass fight scenes in it truly incredible like yeah. next level shit yeah 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 we got to do just like a a gush about the raid episode yes yes uh, my recommendation, you already know where I'm going, yep. Only Lovers Left Alive. Yes. Jim Jarmusch made a vampire movie, and now, forever, we can just, like, it's enough. No more vampires. <laughs> like, we don't need them anymore, because we've done everything with them. Yep. But uh, it, it's a cool movie, and it's it's not a vampire movie. It's a junky romance movie mm-hmm. uh, to the tune of Jim Jarmusch. It's very much his movie. Um, but the junk that they're addicted to is human blood. But you they, don't say. Yeah. Wouldn't you know it? But it stars Loki, and it stars, uh, <laughs> you know, it stars Loki, and it stars and the, uh, the ice... Russian guy from s- the Star Trek reboots, <laughs> and uh, the and the Ice Queen from the Narnia ice movies. Ice Queen from the Narnia. No, it has Tilda Swinton. It yeah, has, yeah, the Ice uh, Queen from the Narnia. Movies. What's his name? Uh, Tom Hiddleston. Yeah, yeah, yeah Loki. Look, I used yeah. to call him a uh, uh, Fastbender Light. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kind of looks like Michael Fastbender, but he's his own thing. He's he's truly incredible. Yeah, but. It's one of the. It's probably the best vampire movie I've seen since Let the Right One In or Habit. Mm. And it's uh. It's Have just you seen good. Thirst? Oh, I saw Thirst in the theater. That movie uh, is a good fucking vampire. That was a cool movie. movie. Yeah. And that yeah, that I would put that up there too. Yeah. But this is cool. It's not a vampire movie as you think of it. It's just an entertaining uh uh, uh Devin Faraci on Badass mm-hmm. Digest called it a hangout movie. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's the best way to to refer to it because. It's not that there's a lack of plot, but there's no urgency. Yeah, and they do things with the the lore of vampires that that they consider aspects of living the vampire life that we don't consider, mm-hmm. and it's interesting. That's cool. Great soundtrack. A lot of driving around to a soundtrack. Another Jim Jarmusch staple, yep. but uh, highly recommend it. It's very enjoyable. I'm into it. I want to see that movie. It's good stuff. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at Philadelphia. It's with an F. Uh, I have been tweeting a lot. It's a lot of fun. Check me out on there. Uh, come see my weekly open mic. We do at Medusa Lounge in Center City, Philadelphia on Tuesdays. Uh, I have a bunch of shows coming up. Uh, I think this will go out in time. You can come see me uh, open up for Shang Wang. Uh, at uh, Steel Stacks on uh, Thursday the 24th, I think it is. Does that sound like a date? That is a week from tonight. Yes. Uh, And then the following night, I will be at uh, Urban Saloon uh, on a uh, tape showcase uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, you're on that? Comics. I am on that. It's going to be fun. Uh, May 1st, I think it is. I will be uh, in Jersey somewhere on a comedy competition for the High Note Humor guys. Uh, Yeah. Uh, and uh, there's uh, some cool movie movie news maybe coming your way. And uh, let me do my plugs in a couple of we'll, episodes. Uh, we'll do that. Um, at Dan Scully on Twitter, 
Um, also, make sure you follow our show at I Like Two Movie yes. on Twitter. Please do. Let us know what you want to. I like two. Wanna... The number two movie. Number two. Uh, TheDanScully.tumblr.com. You can check out my other show, Super Crappy Fun Time, at SuperCrappyFunTime.com, and um, you can come out to. Uh, oh, I fucking had it and I lost it. On uh, April 25th at the Foodery in uh, Maniunk, uh, I'm going to be doing a show opening for Dave Teruso. Oh, and cool. It's going to be awesome. A lot of beer, a lot of food, a lot of uh, fun, fun times. I did the show before and it was banging. Um, we have um, on May 10th. Yes, May 10th. I'll be returning to Bye Bye Liver. So uh, come check out that show. You can uh, get cool. hammered and uh, watch me do some comedy and then watch some sketches. It's a lot of fun. And uh, I believe that's everything. Do we want to pull the trigger on our announcement? You know, I don't. I don't, I don't know. Should I think we? We should wait. Let's wait. Let's yeah, wait let's until wait. we know we got something really, really set in stone. But we we have uh, some cool movie movie stuff coming up. I think there's going to be more opportunities uh, to uh, get your movie movie on. Absolutely, uh, in the future. We're going to be bringing movie movie to you. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's hey, a tease. Like that? I like that. There we go. There we go. And. Uh, if you tune in to Fox uh, at 9.58 on Thursday, we're going to give you a first glimpse of uh, what the creature looks like. So check that out. It's shadowy, but you know what? You don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss it. This episode brought to you by Bad Robot Productions. <laughs> <laughs> you know the Abrams tease. Mm, yes. Did you see that? Uh, there's a, a picture from the desert where they're shooting Star Wars. No. Nah. And it's a warehouse. And sticking out of the warehouse is the giant foot of an AT-AT. No way. So that's good movie news. That's kind of yeah. cool. So you at home, take that with you. Put yeah, it in your put pocket. Put that in your, uh, your, put it in your bud. Put it in your pipe and smoke it. Cool, man. Well, right. uh, should we do it? Right. Let's do it. Uh, it's going to be weird. We're on opposite sides of the table. I feel like that's going to fuck up my vibe. Yeah, well, I mean, we barely get it to begin with. Here we go. My name is Garrett Smith, and I like to movie movie. My name is Dan Scully, and I like to movie movie. And we all know that you like to movie movie because we like, like to movie. movie. Fuck yeah. <laughs>